1: And today, we have an exciting show. I'm recording from Dusseldorf, Germany, and my guest comes from Brisbane, Australia. And of course, our recording studio is in Phoenix, Arizona. So we're really an example of leadership beyond borders today as we bridge three time zones. So good morning, good afternoon, and good evening, wherever you may be listening from. And a welcome back to our returning listeners. And if you are new, let me tell you what this series is about. Leadership Beyond Borders is about the impact globalization is having on our organizations and what this impact is doing to the kind of leadership we need to drive long-term success in today's economy. In this series, we have talked about everything from business issues such as artificial intelligence and data protection regulations to leadership issues such as gender balance, generational management, and business values that may impact your organization or your individual career. So please download this series on iTunes. In this series, you can listen to great advice, leadership success stories that can you learn from, that can motivate you, that can stimulate you, and possibly even be the key to your success. I invite you to connect with me. Send me your thoughts and insights to leadershipbeyondborders at gmail.com. Connect with me on my website at leadershipbeyondborders.net. Tell me what you want to hear about. I would love to hear from you, so please send me a mail. If you're in a leadership position or aspire to be in one, regardless if your business is international or local, make sure you join us each week, and we will make sure that you take away something useful for either your business or yourself. So on to today's episode. Today we live in a global economy where in both our work and private lives, inclusion, gender balance, cultural and ethical mix, and generational mix – are a lot more prevalent than they were 20 years ago. And this means we need to pay much better attention and be more aware of our own communication style. But communication is not just about the words we speak, it's also about the questions we ask, how we listen and the body language we use. When we connect with a person, the content of the spoken message needs to be interpreted. But sometimes we're unable to deliver our messages by, smoke, by spoken or written languages alone. And that's when body language comes into play. It's about everything from a handshake to your facial expression. And we give off thousands of unconscious signals to our body language and our habits, and these signals help others understand instantly and instinctively something about ourselves. But all these habits have deep roots. Some are universally human, and some depend on culture, upbringing, and gender. But all these actions eventually end up in judgments. And a huge part of our judgments of other people and their judgments on us are visual. Studies have suggested up to 50%. Now, this, this sounds a little bit complicated, does it? But it's quite important Because your communication, both verbal and bodily, can be your success or your downfall. And we're going to talk today about how important body language is and how the way you communicate, the way you ask questions, the way you give feedback, all determine the influence you have on others or the impression they have on you. Our guest today has done a lot of thinking, writing, teaching, and speaking on the subject. He is an expert in the field. But he's not only an expert, I have also seen him speak, and teach and give presentation. And he does it with humor that reveals the truth, makes you laugh, but also makes you think. Our guest today is Alan Pease. Alan Pease researches and studies the psychology of selling relationships and human communication. He teaches simple field-tested skills and techniques that get results. Known worldwide as Mr. Body Language, Alan's own record in the field of selling and motivating and training is equaled by very few others. He's a born achiever. Alan, with his wife and co-author Barbara Pease, is one of the world's most successful nonfiction authors, writing 18 bestsellers, including 10 number one bestsellers, such as The The Definitive Book of Body Language and Why Men Don't Listen and Women Can't Read Maps his books have been translated into 54 languages and have sold over 27 million legal copies his television series and number one box office movie were watched by over 100 million viewers he does public speaking and delivers his messages in numerous way which motivates people to want to use these ideas immediately he has addressed audiences in 70 countries his programs are used by businesses and governments to teach Powerful relationship skills, and his messages are relevant to anything in life, anything that involves winning people and getting people to cooperate and say yes. So welcome to the show, Alan.
2: Well, good morning, good evening, and good afternoon to everybody, wherever you may be. <laughs> yeah.
1: So Alan, the, the, let's just start with um, your your book, the first book that I always read on body language. Um, the definitive book on body language. How, How did you get started in all this? How did you get interested in this kind of behavior?
2: Well, for me, Kimberly, it goes back to the 1950s where my father was the local country representative of the Eagle Star Insurance Company. Back in the 50s, the insurance agents would go door to door and collect the premiums. That people were paying every month or every quarter or every half year and that's how they prospected for new business because there were no credit cards or mobile phones or checks back in those days and uh, he'd often take me with him because he was a young handsome guy knocking on the doors and most of the doors are answered by women and of course it's hard to get in and present when you're a young handsome guy so he would take me with him because when you've got a kid with you you get in so I was- four nights a week sitting with my father around a negotiating table watching how he'd negotiate for insurance and he used to tell me in advance look Alan if, if the premium's too high they don't like it they might sit back and maybe cross their arms and put the hand on their face and the reason he knew that Kimberly because we would sit around two or three nights a week listening to 78 RPM records of people like Dale Carnegie because mm-hmm. back in the 50s, the insurance guys were the cutting edge communication specialists of the day. And, and if we couldn't get into a house, you would say things like, would you mind if Alan uses your toilet or could he have a glass of water? So I'd be spending five nights a week peeing in people's toilets and drinking water all over southwestern Australia and watching my dad present for insurance. So I grew up in an environment of understanding that you could look at people and you could figure out in advance what their intentions might be by their behaviour, which in 1976 became a book I wrote called Body Language.
1: Mm-hmm. And I remember that book. So that's how you learned it. That's, that's a great story. And then you you wrote that first book and you've been so successful. And um, you you talk about success and, and you talk about it in, in, a, in a great, fun, humorous way. And you have some golden rules for success. Can we talk about that?
2: Well, it's interesting. I, I wrote a book on this uh, a long time ago. And, and I talked about, I originally spoke about the three golden rules. And the, and the bottom line is if you stick with just these three, even though we read about five, you just stick with these three in whatever venture you're going into, where you want to get in there and sell an idea, sell a concept, get people on site, get them to agree, get them to finance you, get them to do whatever you want them to do. And the rule number one, the most critical rule of anything where you're going to get out there and sell yourself into the, into the business community is see the people and uh, now any anybody who's in sales for example usually has heard this or understands this if you're in direct sales or commission only sales that's, that's your whole lot see the people what it means very simply you can be the best dressed person in town, have the best presented presentation, you can have the best visual aids, the best computer software, the best everything. But if you're not in front of somebody, ask them to say yes, that's a complete waste of time. So seeing everybody. Now, the reason you need to see everybody, because first of all, you need to practice just to get out there and practice what you're saying to be able to get your presentation Right and the law of averages will take over once, you play, once you're take once you presenting to people. So the first rule is see everybody, tell everybody about your ideas, what you want, and ask them to be involved. See the people's number one. Rule number two is see the people, and rule number three is see the people. <laughs> now, now, if you're just out there telling people what you want to do, what you want to achieve, asking them to help you, to give you advice, to join you, to buy from you, if you're doing that and nothing else, even if you're a complete idiot and you're dressed like a slob, you are going to do okay because the law of averages statistically will give you a result.
1: Okay. So that's where the law of averages come in then. So, so get out there, see the people, see the people. I mean, th- that's, that's the key to it. And then, and then the law of averages, how does that work? So it's, you know, if you see 10 people, something will happen. Maybe two will, will then buy or, or what do you mean by the law of averages?
2: Well, that's pretty much it. And, and in fact, uh Back in the 1950s, when I was listening to Dale Carnegie with my dad on these 78 RPM records in in rural Victoria in Australia, right there, almost at the South Pole, uh, I learned the law of average and how they work at that time. What it means very simply, if, for example, and I'll give an example. When I was 11 years of age, I, I was selling rubber sponges door to door. This is in the days when people washed their car windows and their houses with a with a cloth. They put it in a bucket of water and they wash it. And I would go to an upholsterer where they had they had offcuts of rubber from the back of car seats, and I cut them into squares, go with a bucket of water door to door, and sell these for 20 cents each. And what I discovered was, every 10 doors I knocked on, every 10 times my knuckles hit a door, on average, after school between 3 and 5 in the afternoon, seven of those doors would open because three people weren't, weren't home or wouldn't answer the door. Mm-hmm. Of the seven people that I got to eyeball, four of those people would let me do my little two-minute spiel on, on how to buy a sponge and show them how it worked. Three people would say, beat a kid, we're not interested, or worse to that effect. And of the four who listened, two would buy. And so I would make 40 cents. Now, mm-hmm. here's the way the law of averages figured for me. Most people who are in any form of selling or out there selling their ideas, they want someone to say yes to it. They go out and they might have the first two or three presentations to people and they get a knockback. So then most people become despondent because average person trying to sell an idea to someone goes for three goes. Three goes, they get despondent and they give up. Yet I knew that if I knocked on 10 doors, I'd finish up with 40 cents. So what that meant was, Kimberly, that every time my knuckles hit a door, I would make four cents. And once I understood that concept, it didn't matter whether people said yes or no, or beat it kid, or come in, or bought off me, or didn't buy off me, it really didn't matter anymore. Every time my knuckles hit a door, I earned four cents. Mm-hmm. Which in 1961 was, you know, that was that was quite a bit of money for a kid because I wanted to take Susie down to the down to the shop and buy her a milkshake. So I really wanted Susie in the milkshake, and the four cents allowed me to do that. So once you once you focus on seeing the people, that is knocking the ten doors. The four cents will appear. Now, most people, you know what they concentrate on when they're trying to put their ideas across or get people involved to sell it. What they do is they focus on the two buyers, on the two out of ten. They're looking for the two out of ten that might buy. And once you start looking for the somebody who might say yes to you, you might buy, you will become emotionally involved. You'll become either really despondent or related. And, and, and either one of those is not good. If you focus on the ten, knocking your knuckles on ten doors, Attempting to get ten people to listen to you, you will finish up with the two out of ten. But most people focus on the two out of ten, and that's why they find it difficult and very an emotive right when trying to sell their ideas. Mm-hmm.
1: Uh, that's great, and and you talk you talk a little bit about that on. Um, okay, that's the law of averages, and then and then how 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 do you improve the, those averages? Well, it's. Once you've recorded, this
2: is what you do. You record everything you do when you've got a new idea, a new concept that you want somebody to say yes to. You want to get out there and sell it. You record how many people you attempted to talk with, how many people you actually got face to face or on the telephone with or via the net that actually communicated with you. Out of those, how many who would listen to you versus how many wouldn't listen to you? Then how many who went through the whole presentation and rejected you, and how many said yes? Now. For example, knocking on doors, which is a really good example. I had 10, 7, 4, 2. 10 knocks on doors, knock on 10 doors, 7 doors open, uh, 4 people listen, 2 say no and 2 say yes. So I had 10, 7, 4, 2. Now, the ratios, it takes 30 days keeping statistics for you to work out your ratio. And every idea in the world, every concept that anybody listening to this program has in their mind that they might want to get out there and sell to the world. Any idea has a law of averages connected to it based on your country, your product, the need for what it is you've got, and your skills and abilities. All you need to do is work out what is that ratio. And every person has a personal ratio. Every ind- industry and every product has a ratio. But most people don't know the ratio. They're just looking for the, for the one or the two buyers. And that's why it's a very difficult for them. OK, so with the law of average 10, 7, 2, 1, that means every 10 doors I'd knock on, seven went open. Well, three didn't open. So that means if I change the time of day I knocked on the doors, if I knocked on the door, say, at six o'clock in the evening, I might get nine doors open. So that tells me that if I change my time, I'd get a better response that way. Uh, of four people who listened to me, two said yes and two said no. So that tells me I've got a 50% closing ratio, as it's called in the selling business. So why was I only selling half the people? Well, that tells me I need to pick up my my presentation skills to do a better job, to look for more pointed ideas. Of the seven who opened the door... Uh, three said, no, they wouldn't even let me get started. So that means maybe I need to work on how I look, or how I present myself, maybe my body then was my smile. So once you've recorded your averages and you know what your statistics are, and it takes about 30 days to do this. Those statistics tell you the areas you need to work on to close those gaps to make yourself better. And that's why it's so, it's so powerful. And this way, once you understand how this concept works, the law of averages and it teaches you what to do your business becomes really a, a technical business and becomes exciting because you're not worried about somebody who says yes, someone who says no, or well, well, doors are closed on you. That doesn't bother you anymore. You know that the averages will work out and you know where to improve by the distance between those numbers.
1: That's great. That That's great. And it, it sounds so simple. So get those people, record those averages, get those, you know, but it's always getting in front of the people. And so, Alan, we're going to take a quick break um, and um, – For our listeners, we are talking to Alan Pease. Alan and Barbara Pease are one of the world's most successful nonfiction authors, writing 18 bestsellers, including 10 number one bestsellers such as the definitive book of body language and why men don't listen and women can't read maps. And as you heard um, a lot of information in and selling here. And if you want to get to Alan and reach out to him. Please go to www.peasinternational.com. Alan and Barbara Pease are also on Facebook and also Alan Pease on LinkedIn. Please reach out to him. And I'm your host, Kimberly Lewis. You're listening to Leadership Beyond Borders. And we're going to take a short break. And when we come back, I want to talk about adding body language to all this, Alan. Okay? Until then.
3: From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. Skilled migrants throughout the world can face a variety of challenges. Many times they settle for jobs that are below their skill level because their education and qualifications are not recognized. Do we need local experience in a global world? Join host Alma Besserden for the Global Workplace. We'll explore the issues being faced by migrants, as well as showcase diversity and recognize the leadership and inclusion roles of some of today's top global organizations. Listen every Tuesday at 4 p.m. U.S. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Bob Pritchard has over 30 years of experience as a straight-talking business consultant and author, working with some of the top Fortune 500 companies.
0: Are listening to Leadership Beyond Borders. Do you have a question or comment about our show? Please send an email to leadershipder beyond Borders at gmail dot com. Again, that's leadershipship beyond Borders at gmail. com. Now back to this week's program.
1: Welcome back to Leadership Beyond Borders with Kimberly Lewis, and today we are talking to Alan Pease. Alan is one of the world's most successful nonfiction authors writing 18 bestsellers, including ten number one bestsellers including my favorite book, Why Men Don't Listen and Women Can't Read Maps. And we're going to come to that a little bit later. But we've been talking to Alan about sales because he does a lot of teaching and a lot of training on sales. And your stories on, on the success, those five key success factors was really interesting, Alan. So I want to just go, I am want to dive more into that, okay? So you've done this, you've knocked on doors, you've done this. You talk a lot about body language. What is... Where does body language come into this, and um, how does that contribute to success?
2: Well, body language is the original human language, and in simple terms, it's the ability to read the emotional condition of a person. So whatever emotion you're likely to be feeling at any given time, like happy, sad, confident, depressed, uh, elated, frightened, negative – with people, against some lying, telling the truth. Whatever emotion you're feeling is likely to be reflected in a gesture, movement, expression, or some posture. And so the ability to read body language in simple terms is you're reading a person's emotional condition. That is how they're feeling. You then match it up with what you hear them saying in the context and circumstances under which it's all happening. And when you're really good at this, this allows you to figure out what could be going on in their head. And that's in simple terms how it works. And body language now is shown to account for somewhere between 60 up to 80%, depending on the sex of the person, the culture, and vocabulary, 60 to 80% of all the impact you're making face to face. In other words, if you don't get it right face to face, Physically, you're going to have a real struggle getting people inside because in all business, whatever business you're in, if people buy you, Kimberly, they're likely to buy what goes with you. In other words, if they like you, they feel comfortable, they feel like you identify with them, they're not feeling intimidated, they feel good around you, they're going to give you a fair go, they're going to give you a hearing. And uh, most product services ideas that you're trying to put across, all you want is a fair hearing under good conditions. And body language allows you to read a person to see how well you're coming across. So 60 to 80% of that impact is done that way. And people form up to 90% of their impression about you on first meeting in under four minutes. In other words, you screw the first four minutes up, Kindle. You you are going to struggle to get anywhere with that person because they don't buy you. They don't feel good with you and don't buy you. They're not going to buy whatever goes with you, even if it's a good idea. And that's the interesting thing. So body language, is the ability to read a person's attitude through gestures. And it's, when you go back to the 70s when i first started teaching this it was it was like speaking a foreign language but if you go back in human history speaking as we're doing now over the over the web and over the internet is a brand new thing in terms of human evolution we've only been doing that for a very short time in our history just about all our history was done through body language as it is with most animal species for dogs for example or any animal species let's take dogs uh, they don't talk like we do they have a few sounds but they have gestures and movements that they all understand, so everybody knows exactly what the other guy is on about, whether he's aggressive, whether he's friendly, and what his intentions might be. So, it's your ability to read and predict people's intentions by their appearance and behavior. Mm-hmm.
1: And then this body language, um, we, you know, this comes so naturally to all of us. And, and is this is this you know hi, does, is this historically developed? It, I know there's cultural aspects to it. Um, you know, how, how do we try to learn to, to use body language correctly, okay, in, in, in order to make it successful? You know, because well, yeah, yes. I have habits who have habits. How do we do this?
2: <laughs> yeah, well, that's right. And, and the history of it's interesting. I mean, some of our body language is in our DNA. We're born that way. The ability to cross your arms, for example, on the chest. And if you cross your arms right now, can you do that? Mm-hmm. Yep. And seven out of ten humans will have the left arm on top and the right arm underneath. What's your position?
1: oh, you're not going to believe that I have the right arm on top. But I'm okay. very sorry. <laughs> yeah. the children are minority three
2: out of ten, and women are more likely than men to have the right arm on top. Yeah, yeah. And monkeys, yeah. And chim- monkeys and chimpanzees do this as well, so it's primate behaviour. And when we study monkeys and chimps, we get clues as to why we might do this as primates. And crossing our arms on our chest, it protects your heart and lungs from a frontal attack because that's how other primates use it. So if some guy's throwing rocks or sticks or spears at you, you've got a good chance of surviving by protecting your, your heart and lungs. You don't cross over your belly, you don't cross under your throat, it's right across your heart and lungs region. And, the thing, and, and that's, you know, we know that we're born with that ability to do that. But what we found is that if you cross your arms face-to-face with any person, the first thing that happens, they can recall up to 40% less of what you said and they talk to you in shorter sentences, they give you less eye contact and are less likely to be persuaded by you. In other words... Their brain says, this person is switched off, that they're not buying me, they're not with me. It's like when you walk into a retail store, for example, and you're looking for somebody to serve you or to help you. As you scan the room looking for someone, if there's anybody with arms crossed or looking at the ground, your brain doesn't actually see them. You scan them out. You're looking for somebody who is open, who's likely to be accepting of you, and that's the person that you're going to approach, not the crossed arms one. So the first strategy is you remove anybody crossing from your repertoire immediately. It doesn't matter what you think you do. Some, I had a guy the other day said, I have a lower back injury, so I crossed my arm. I said, Well, that, that's fair enough. Though, but people who don't think, don't, who don't know you, yeah. don't look at you much and don't listen to you. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you. you remove things from your repertoire. So, no, and that, one, that one's inborn. Some are culturally learned, uh, and we learn them from our parents, from our societies, from our schools, and just me interacting within cultures. But the basic emotions, The basic 10 emotions of human beings, we have exactly the same gestures, whether we're happy, sad, frightened, fearful, confident. In all cultures, including three lost civilizations we looked at over the last 50 years that have never seen any other cultures, they also cross their arms when they're feeling threatened or negative or don't like what they're hearing or seeing. So these things are inborn. But you're better off to remove any sort of crossing from your body immediately. Now the question is, what the hell do I do now? I've been crossing my arms (laughs) all my life. Where do they go? And that's one of the things that we, we tackle with teaching body language. We we show people how to remove all the old gestures that are going to get people to give you a negative response, and replace them with positive ones. And it only takes two weeks on average to replace a negative with a positive.
1: So, so this is learnable, is what you're saying, and that's what you do. You help people try to get rid of this crossing the arms and and try to to get into more to body language that might be more receptive to, to, you know, discussions or winning people over. And, and that's really interesting. And Alan, what about the handshake? Cause this is something that always makes me nuts. Okay. Because, um, you know, sometimes I, I, you know, I've had handshakes with people that, you know, you feel like you're shaking a fish. Okay. And then I've had other ones that like squeeze my hand until it's like, I feel like it's going to break. Okay. <laughs> is that, that's a quite an, in business and, and meeting people, isn't that Quite an important aspect.
2: Well, absolutely, and that first four minutes, where people are forming up to ninety percent of their impression. In fact, we form just about all their impression in less than ten seconds. We spend up to four minutes just confirming what we think we've got. If you look at the history of, of handshakes painted on Roman vases around two thousand years ago, where two Roman leaders in the army, or politicians, or high-status people would meet, and they were, they were men at the time, so this was purely a male activity at that period, and they would go in what almost looked like an arm wrestling position when they met, almost like a double high five, as we do now, mm-hmm. and if one person's arm was stronger, one guy's arm was stronger than the other, it was slightly on top of the other guy, he was said to have the upper hand, the upper hand was, was an arm wrestling expression, and upper hand meant that his soldiers, his troops, his people got the first food, wine, dining and dancing, and the other guy's uh, troops had to wait. And that was normally done crouching on one knee. We now do it standing. And it's, that's the history of modern handshake. So, to create rapport with someone, make people feel relaxed, to feel like, hey, this is going to go well. Uh, when you meet and shake hands with people for the first time, you keep your palm absolutely vertical to the floor, not facing at the floor, which is aggressive, not facing up, which is passive, but absolutely horizontal. Keep your hand straight. And secondly, this takes a bit of practice, give the same pressure you receive. Because on a scale of mm-hmm. one to ten, if uh, a, a 10 being a knuckle grinder, which you described before, mm-hmm. uh, one being uh, four breakfast sausages or a dead salmon, <clears throat> if my handshake, the position is a 7 out of 10, which it is, if I meet you, and let's say yours is a 5 out of 10, you'll feel that little bit of 20% pressure, and you, your brain will silently say, this guy could be a bit pushy, a bit heavy, and I'll feel like I can sort of push you around a little. So what I'll do to make you feel comfortable, when we meet, me, I'll give you my normal handshake, and I feel a 5, I'll back off 20% and keep it straight. And when I do that, you'll immediately say, at a gut level, this he seems like a nice guy. Maybe I'll give him a hearing because with new ideas, I just want you to give me a good hearing under under favourable conditions, and then the law of averages will look after me. So keep the palm straight. Give the same pressure you receive is the key. And you look at Donald Trump. Donald Trump's opening position is palm facing straight down towards the floor. He is a dominator. He's only ever given mm. one palm up twice. He gave it to Vladimir Putin. And he gave it to Kim Jong-un. And that was a strategy because he didn't want the people in North Korea or those in Russia when they saw the photograph to say Donald Trump's a bully. They wanted to say Donald's letting our leader be the, the, the dominant guy. And that's how the papers reported it.
1: Mm -hmm. oh that's really interesting and this and this all this is happening and this is so important and and you're teaching people this because uh, i've never even thought about this i just know that when i get a handshake it's either kind of like a a salmon or somebody's squeezing me and and i do feel more comfortable if it's quite even with my handshake um so that's a question that that leads me to another question what what about when you're teaching all these body languages what about gender okay because there is there is there uh, obviously there we have different body language men and women and um and you know we're t- quite into diversity and equality today in business uh do you touch on any of those aspects at all on the differences
2: yeah, absolutely all of them in fact uh, the great thing about reading being able to read body language signals it tells you whether somebody is thinking in gender equality or not or whether they're sex or chauvinist or otherwise because do you think we shows you the emotional condition, it shows you what someone's feeling and thinking, whereas words will tell you what they want you to hear to create the situation. And so I've had many many instances, particularly with television debates, where I'm are analyzing people in public uh, who are maybe claiming equality, but the body language tells me they don't give a hoot about that at all, that they're really just selling a story to get some advantage. And the basic emotions of men and women are the same, that is fear, anger, happiness, sadness, grief, and so on. And as a result of that, the basic gestures we use for that are the same. So we'll use a steeple position sometimes, like we're almost like a praying position. The fingers of one hand touch the other. If we're feeling confident or in charge, and that's in fact the, the gesture we teach people to replace crossed arms with, there's a steeple position because you you start to feel confident when you do it. Not only do you feel confident, people who see you think, "Hey, you seem to know what you're talking about, Kimberly," and so it creates a confidence thing. So, uh. By replacing any negatives with positives, you you actually can manipulate your own emotions. And this is very useful because if you're going to a really big appointment, say a job interview or somewhere where you've you've got one crack at selling your idea and you don't want to screw it up, and the chances are in those circumstances you're going to feel nervous and tension. And that's likely to be reflected in nervous attention gestures. And perceptive people, which are mainly women, women are highly perceptive of reading these things, they'll pick it up and say, oh, you're not as confident as you're trying to make out. And so by replacing it, with confidence signals by standing around a corner in a in a restroom, practicing confidence signals for two minutes. If you practice for two minutes doing these things, you will actually experience the emotions that matches it and it changes your attitude and how people are perceiving you. It's it's you're manipulating yourself for a positive outcome. And, and there are gender differences. The big difference is that women have around two to three times better ability to read nonverbal signals face to face with men, and it appears yeah, they clearly to be linked to childbirth. Women still have babies. That hasn't become equal yet. I'm not very happy about that. <laughs> yeah. It makes sense that women's brains would be wired with the ability to read the nonverbal signals of babies because for the first two years of human life, babies don't speak. They just vomit and poop, and that's about it. But they have a whole range of signals that they're showing that mothers', mother's brains can read. Is the baby happy, sad, tired? in pain, hungry, frightened, and if you as a woman couldn't do that, if you didn't have the hardware and software to do it, it's detrimental for survival. And we did tests with this uh, many times each decade that show that women's superior ability to read this face-to-face is linked to childbirth because with a crying baby, for example, uh, a woman will look at a crying baby and can feel up to seven different emotions. A man looks at a crying baby and says it wants its mother. In other words, he's solving the problem rather than seeing the emotion, which is why women are such better face-to-face communicators than men. Men close deals better and more often. Women are better at sussing it out.
1: Mm-hmm. And, and do you think – um, have to go to a break for a minute. A real quick question. Do you think any of this has – with the gender equality and the balance, ha- has any of this shifted at all in the, in the past couple of years – you know shifted that that you know women trying to doing a little bit more uh body language mirroring men or or have you seen any of that
2: well absolutely in fact the more women are moving into male and into traditionally male dominated roles the more basic body signals of of power authority aggression that women show and less expression on their faces in other words they start to look like and behave more like men because uh, the leadership of business has been right. a male domain for a million years and women moving into that are starting to tend to look like and behave more like men. And the problem the woman's got when she gets home, if you're still acting like a man, it has very <laughs> negative effects on her relationship. So she's got to play two roles.
1: Two roles, yeah. So uh, that's uh, that's what I was wondering, because I've seen that too. But we're going to take a short break now, um, Alan. And for our listeners, we are speaking with Alan Pease. Alan researches and studies the psychology of selling, relationships, and human, human communication. He, along with his wife, Barbara Pease, are co-authors of some very great books that I've read, 18 bestsellers, including 10 number one bestsellers, the definitive Book of Body Language and Why Men Don't Listen and Women Can't Read Maps. And you can reach out to Alan at www.peasinternational.com. He's available for speaking engagements all over the world. You can reach him on Facebook under Alan and Barbara Pease and on LinkedIn under Alan Pease. And I'm Kimberly Lewis, and you're listening to Leadership Beyond Borders, one of Voice America's fastest growing series on the business channel you can reach out to me at leadership beyond borders at gmail.com and we're going to take a short break and we'll be right back
3: voice america business network the bottom line in business
1: On Voice America Business Channel. And today we're sp- speaking with Alan Pease. Alan researches and studies the psychology of selling, relationships, and human communication. And he is the author of 18 bestsellers, including. 10 number one bestsellers, and one of them is my favorite one, and that that is Why Men Don't Listen and Women Can't Read Maps. And, uh, Alan, I just asked you about the changing of body language for gender, okay, Um, because I've seen that, and we were talking about that before we went to break. But also with with this whole digital world, I mean, and anybody who has kids knows that they always have that that phone in their hand, or that tablet in their hand. Is, is this digital transition changing body language at all?
2: Well, it definitely is, and it's doing it in several ways, Kimberly. First, uh, a study that came out 18 months ago showed that with Gen Ys, that is our mid-30s and below, and the same will apply to a greater extent to millennials now, they have around 10% less connections in the brain that deal with identifying emotions in the face than their parents or grandparents. And that makes sense because they're spending their lives looking at a screen Whereas as you and I, and if uh, I'm 67 now, so I spent my whole life being raised looking at people's faces, learning what was going on, getting a physical reaction to are they happy with me, sad with me, are they are they distraught, are they angry, are they confident? And so uh, you learn that by looking at faces, by looking at screens, it's depleted the number of connections in the brain of, of the uh, Gen Ys and millennials will be the same. In other words, they're less likely to know by looking at you if you're unhappy, sad, in love, crazy, going to say yes, going to say no or lying. They're less likely to do that face to face than say your parents or grandparents who only, who never had any digital aids. So that's the first thing that's happening. Uh, the Second thing is that because of calls such as Skype and processes where we're now seeing people rather than just on the telephone, mm-hmm. uh, it's changed the way people are behaving on, on screen because on screen, if you've got somebody on there that you're talking with, you are, in fact, staring at them the whole time. You're not looking away. Yeah. Now, if you did that face-to-face, people would feel pretty uneasy about that because <laughs> staring some, increasing eye contact means you're either going to give them a big kiss because you're crazy about them, or you're going to give them a smack across the face because you're angry with them because yeah. those emotions involve prolonged eye contact. And even people who live in countries such as uh, South America or in China where – Prolonged eye contact is seen as rude and offensive. In fact, in Japan, they won't look at you at all face-to-face when they talk because it's seen as impolite, they they look at your chest. And uh, if you're not aware of that when you go to places like Japan, you're likely to think, hey, this guy's lying to me because in Western cultures, if someone's not looking at us, we don't trust them. Mm-hmm. So, but- and they're saying, well, why is she looking at me? Does she love me or does she hate me? And they start making personal assumptions about you rather than listening to the deal, which is why they remember less of what you said. So so those things are changing, that how we deal with somebody and then with signals on Skype, Skype-type calls is changing. And on Skype, normally you're going to see somebody just from, uh, say, the chest upwards, so you're seeing the upper part of the body. And so it's become even more critical than ever to understand how that person's feeling emotionally through body signals and body language because that's all you've got now on the screen. Most people, as you would have seen, don't pay attention to that and they don't pay attention to their background. It looks like they're sitting in a toilet somewhere in China giving you a <laughs> talk to- They haven't spent any time looking at the background. Yet when we see a really bad background, as you know, we, we start making a negative assumptions yeah. about the person.
1: Mm-hmm. No, yeah, that's true. Because I mean, it has to have an effect, and you're right. I never thought about the Skype thing because you do just stand there staring at people, and it is kind of weird, to be honest with you, <laughs> if you think about it. But when I when I think about the generation Z and the generation Y, also, and another thing that pops to my mind, it comes back to verbal communication. Okay. Um, and of course, you know, if you have teenagers at home, you're going to know you're you're not going to get an answer if you ask a question. You're going to go just get yeah, no, okay. Mm-hmm. That's kind of typical, and that's age oriented. Um, but. It seems like with this communication, communi- people are communicating a little bit less. And you do have a book. In your book, you talk about how questions are the answers and how important it is to ask the right questions. Um, in a t- t- technique and, and trying to get communication and trying to understand people, what what do you mean by this? Can you talk about this a little bit about?
2: You're absolutely right about what you're saying about teenagers, and it sounds like you might have had experience with boys. <laughs> boys are the first but most women get scared about this because they don't anticipate what's, what's going to happen. The average female, the average female brain can output between six to 8,000 words a day, including sounds such as, uh, uh, uh or, yeah, <laughs> which aren't words, but they communicate very powerful meanings, uh, including the amount of change the tone of voice she's likely to use. And the gestures, movements, and expression, there are 20 to 24,000 signal potential a day The typical female brain, and I say female brain because one out of five guys has got one of those as well. He looks, like, <laughs> he looks like a guy, but he thinks like a woman. It doesn't mean that he's necessarily gay, but he's a, probably a straight guy. He's more effeminate, but he talks a hell of a lot. And he's got a lot of female friends for that reason. Whereas, uh, So 20 to 24,000 signal outputs is a female capability versus 7 to 10,000 output for the typical male brain person. We call these communication words. This is a real issue because, as you know yourself, 20 to 24,000, that means by the time you get to that level as a woman, you're exhausted. You just can't talk anymore. You've got to lay down and go to bed. Whereas a guy will run out around 10,000. And so you sit down in the evening and try to talk with this guy, and, and he's done his 10,000. There's <laughs> nothing more to <laughs> say. So, so here comes his son from school. He says, hi, son. Hi, Dad. How's your day? Good. That's it till tomorrow. Most people are perfectly happy with that outcome. But for women, this is not a good outcome. <laughs> <laughs> so this is why when boys hit puberty, when testosterone floods their, and other androgens flood their system, they t- start to turn into men. They stop talking. And women get panicked about this because the number one reason women talk is communication and bonding. If you like someone, if you buy, look, if someone's buying your story, if a woman likes what you're saying, she wants you to be a friend, the first visible sign is she'll start to talk. And what she talks about is not the point. She's talking. Words <laughs> means I like you, I like your story, because the reverse is true. Doesn't like you, doesn't love you. You ought to be punished, you'll withdraw the words. She'll stop talking. Mm-hmm. I'll fix him. I won't talk till next weekend. <laughs> Most don't understand how this goes. Uh, look, women use words, well, women use silence to punish men. Men love silence. It's not a punishment. <laughs> we love this. If you want to punish the guy, talk more and change the subject. That will drive the guy absolutely nuts. Or make him sit on a chair and discuss his feelings. That will really punish the guy. So, <laughs> <laughs> when when you're teenage boys, and the girls, this is a far lower effect, but for boys, it's very strong. And Women panic. They get, they get to puberty, age 12 or 13, and they stop talking to their mothers. And women mm-hmm. panic because they go, he doesn't love me because there's no words. It doesn't mean that. He just stops talking until he becomes a man. He might start talking in his 20s again. In fact, in Africa, there are several tribes. When the boys get puberty, they take them away from their mothers so the mothers can't talk to them. And they bring them back when they're 21 years of age. <laughs> with a voice. So if he's not talking, don't worry about it. it doesn't mean he
1: doesn't like it. it. <laughs> don't worry about it. Oh, that's good. That's, that's good. That's, <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's perfect. <laughs> so, uh, oh gosh. Now, at least you made me feel better today. So um, so let, let's just, um, yeah, I want to go on to uh, another subject. Um, because you talk about getting people to say yes, okay? And we talk about the selling and things like that. And you talk about a te- technique on trying to get four keys to get people to say yes. Can, can you talk about that for us for a little bit?
2: Well, getting people to say yes, to feel comfortable and to agree. The overall principle, and many people don't like this idea. They don't feel comfortable with it. They, and it's probably politically incorrect, but it's biologically absolutely accurate. It's the number one most important thing in any person's life. You know what
1: it is? No, I have no idea, honestly. <laughs> what?
2: Most people don't. It's themselves.
1: Them. Of course, okay. <laughs>
2: they're more interested in them, their life, their family, their work, their ideas, their everything, than they ever will be in yours. So the gold rule for persuading people, getting them on side, getting them to feel comfortable to want to say yes, is only talk about them because the bottom line is, if they don't ask you a question about you, your family, your kids, your work, your life, your country, if they don't ask you, it just means they're not interested. It's that simple. So don't mm-hmm. tell them unless Ask questions about them is the basic principle. If you're doing just that, People suddenly will find you a magnetic, interesting personality. And by, brother, I've had occasions where I've been I just asked one question, what we call open-ended questions. Now an open-ended question, uh, we use brain scans to work out how the stuff works. An open-ended question is very different in terms of brain response to a closed-ended question. A closed-ended question involves a short answer like, well, where do you live, Germany? Do you like it there? Yes. How's the weather? Fine. They're closed-ended questions, and you get minimum activity, around 5% of the part of left and right brains activate when you ask closed-ended. When you ask an open-ended question, such as, so tell me, Climberley, how did you get to relocate yourself into Europe? Now, both sides of your brain will light up, and you'll start to talk about your number one subject, which is you, what yeah. I like do is listen, go, uh-huh, uh-huh. This is called listening sound. Uh-huh, really? Is that right? Tell me more is the best question you can ask. You ask a woman those three beautiful words, tell me more, because she will. Tell me more. And you listen and you nod your head. Even if you're on the phone, you nod your head because it changes how your voice sounds and people can picture in your voice that you're nodding your head. And you. Keep t- now, I've done this for up to 20 minutes. And I can remember one person said to me, you know, you were a very interesting person to talk with Alan, and I hadn't said anything other than tell me about how you relocated to that country.
1: <laughs> <laughs> so no, that's right, because you don't think about it, but it is kinda it is kinda you know, the most important thing is ourselves. And um and if you do ask that, that's a great that was that is a really great answer, Alan. So Alan, we're getting we're getting towards the end of our show today. So I just, I mean, we've talked about so many things and and you have so much, um, enlightenment just for our listeners. And I kind of want to wrap it all up. And, um, we have a lot of business people listening out there and this is the business channel. If you had one or two tips to do with all of this, you know, to be a better business person you know, better in communication, body language, what would be your one or two tips to our listeners in business?
2: Well, the first tip would be, as we mentioned in the first segment, that whatever <clears throat> product, idea, service or business you, you're in, it's controlled by a law of averages. That is, every X amount of times you attempt to do something, to sell something, to convince somebody of something, that you're going to get a, a predictable flow based on the product, the environment, your economy, your country and your personal skills. If you can record that for 30 days, it'll tell you where you need to improve. So first is record every activity that you do and that will take the pressure off you feeling emotive about something, feeling upset if something's not going your way. That's the first thing. Secondly, is that 60 to 80 percent of all the impact you're making is face to face. It's non-verbal. And people are deciding pretty much whether they're going to give you a yes or a no within within four minutes based on the way you appear. And you think about some people that you appear. The worst, the worst advice you can give some of your friends can believe is just be yourself. I mean, that can be terrible <laughs> advice for a lot of people. You can be your best self. And the third thing is that men and women do not think the same way. They think differently. Now, it's not politically correct, but to think that men and women think the same way is a recipe for disaster because governments and politicians who push this idea of confused equality with difference. Equality is a, it's a legal precept, it means as men and women, we can do whatever we choose to do. Now, difference is a science question. That's what I deal with. That is, if we took the top of your head off and picked around inside your brain, would you be the same? And the answer is no, we're different. Not better or worse, we're different. And you want to, because you don't want to wake up in the morning and have to look at you and listen to you, Kimberly, do you? You want something (laughs) that's different. So so things are different between men and women. And poor old Gen Gen Y and the millennials have been convinced and brainwashed that we think the same way. And these poor fellows can't hold down a relationship anymore. Mm -hmm. Okay.
1: I think that's a great tip for our listeners. And um, I have my last question, okay? And we have about one minute to answer it and see if you can answer it in about a minute. So why can't women read maps and why don't men listen
2: <laughs> well that's right the title of that book we, we sold 13 million of that in every language and everybody thought it was written in their country by a local because they thought it only applied to them every woman listening to the program <laughs> she's the only woman married to some idiot male who looks in a fridge and says where's the butter it's right in front of his face and going, can't wake up. why can't this idiot see this and it doesn't matter whether he's five or 55. <laughs> <laughs> It's got to do with spatial awareness, which sits in the right part of the brain. It's the ability to measure speeds, angles, distances of things. That is to build blocks, to do Legos, to be able to put together three-dimensional things, which is a male-skilled thing. And one out of five women are very strong on this. Three out of five are not. It's originally its purpose is for hunting. How far away is that bison? How fast do I have to run to head off? And how fast do I have to bring my arm back and throw this rock to be able to knock it out? It's a male hunting skill that about 20% of women have good to excellent skills. But three out of five don't know. Today it's used in reverse parking. It's used in (laughs) finding your way around with maps. And that's why three out of five women would rather park right out of town and walk back than try to reverse park into a car park. And men give them carry about this. You can't even park, Kimberly. And I say to God, guys, (laughs) knock off. She's not supposed to park. You park it for her, which is what I do. Because my wife runs all our businesses and she's brilliant. I can't do that. But she couldn't park her car to save her life. I park it for her and I'm a hero.
1: Oh, I hear I hear that from my husband all the time. So oh gosh. I, I had to ask that question. I have to tell our I, I have to recommend to our listeners to if you haven't read that book, read that book. It's great. And um, Alan, we're unfortunately we're running out of time now. So I would just like to reintroduce you to our listeners. We've been talking with Alan Pease, and Alan researches and studies the psychology of selling, relationships, and human communication. He teaches simple field-tested skills and techniques that get results and he delivers his message in a humorous way as you heard that which motivates people and I can definitely recommend him as a speaker because I've I uh, had hired Alan as a speaker a few years ago and it was fantastic he's co-authored 18 bestsellers with his wife Barbara Pease and 10 of them were number one bestsellers including the book we just talked about why men don't listen and women can't read maps so Alan thank you so much for joining us um today and getting up early there in Australia and our listeners reach out to Alan at www.peasinternational.com he's on Facebook Alan and Barbara Peas and on LinkedIn so have a great Saturday Alan and um, and I hope to have you back on the show again
2: I'll look forward to that, Kimberly. In fact, I'm looking out the window at a mother kangaroo and a baby right now in case you sure where I'm
1: at. <laughs> Okay. So, thank you. And for our listeners, you've been listening to Leadership Beyond Borders. The program is sponsored by Global Business Therapy, SRO, and the Women's Leadership Academy 2020. And Ponytail Talk, we do executive coaching for women. We provide leadership training, systemic team coaching, and motivational speaking. Please reach out to me, Kimberly Lewis, at leadershipbeyondborders at gmail.com.